Honey, don't you be yelling at me when I'm cleaning my gun. I'll wash the blood off the tailgate when deer season's done. We got one more weekend to go, and I'd like to kill one more doe. Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. Our very own James McMurtry kicking things off for us. That's his latest Copper Canteen getting things going for us on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show. Brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm Cable Smith, and there is no place I'd rather be than talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks this morning. I do appreciate you tuning in as We've got a great show lined up for you today. Uh, the format will deviate from the normal script, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that here momentarily. But you know what to do by now. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos. Grab that stool and pull it a little closer to the campfire because you are in for a treat. This is the elk hunting edition of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Some of y'all have been following along in our endeavor to harvest a bull elk with archery tackle on public land. Um, and we've chronicled basically the entire process on the show and, and extensively on our Facebook page from applying for the hunt to getting drawn to dropping the excess weight that it would require to chase elk through the mountains, um, all that stuff. And today's show, we're going to get not only my take on how that hunt played out and really came full circle for me here in the past week, uh, but also my two hunting buddies that went with me as this hunt was different for all of us, uh, but one that we will never forget. Uh, the three of us took two five-by-fives uh, unguided on public land, so uh, you know we couldn't be happier. Uh, but there's also a, an ugly side to the hunt, an unfortunate side. It happens to, uh, to all bow hunters at some point in their lives, and we'll get into that here in a little bit as well. So uh, coming up on today's broadcast, we will have a wildlife biologist and uh, our good friend David Morgan, one of my longtime hunting buddies, join us here momentarily. Uh, then the other fellow that was on the trip, some of y'all might uh, be familiar with his blog, thedevotedarcher.com. Uh, our friend Chisholm Cook will be here uh, to talk about his experience getting in shape and how he prepared for this hunt. I mean, he is fully immersed in uh, the archery community. And, and I tell you what, when you talk about a passionate bow hunter, uh, uh, he's obsessed. Um, so we'll visit with Chisholm coming up here in a little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the highs and lows of this trip uh, for all of us. And uh, it was one that was physically demanding, uh, like nothing that any of us had ever tackled before. I mean, it, it really did hurt to get out of bed in the mornings. Uh, there's no doubt about that. So we'll talk about everything that went into this hunt uh, with those two guys coming up here in just a little bit. And also a renowned elk hunter and a very popular face among the hunting community. He's actually the spokesman for the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, and you probably know him from his show Fresh Tracks. Uh, Randy Newberg will be here at the bottom of the hour. So uh, we will keep the elk discussion rolling when Randy drops in here in just a little bit as well. So that is what is on the docket for today. 
So to start things off here, I'm going to give you all uh, my abbreviated perspective on this hunt. And we'll start with the cost because I know that's uh, something that is always on everybody's mind. Is this hunt affordable? Well, when you go through the public draw system in any of the uh, western states, yeah, you're going to spend probably between five and $600 on a license if you do get drawn. Um, and if you don't get drawn, you're either not paying the money or it's going to be refunded to you. Uh, and then you've got to factor in after your license fees, obviously fuel. If you drive, well, I mean, obviously that's a lot cheaper. Uh, what we did a little bit differently this year compared to uh, my previous hunts in New Mexico when I've hunted mule deer and elk, uh, do-it-yourself public land in New Mexico uh, prior to this year. Uh, but we had a drop camp, an equipped drop camp. So we had a canvas wall tent. Uh, we actually gave the outfitter the GPS coordinates of where we wanted our camp set up. So they went in ahead of time, set up our camp, and then we actually rode horses in because it was a, an eight-mile trek, one that I and, and David each made uh, with all of our gear on our backs last year <laughs> and one that uh, I decided I personally didn't want to do again and and there's something to be said here about being comfortable. Last year, my boots got so wet because it rained every day that my feet were just falling apart by the end of the week uh, on my hunt. So this year we said, let's do it a little different. Let's spend a little bit of money, be comfortable. So we were up off the ground. We slept on cots. We had a stove in this tent. We could stand up, move around, had uh, excess space for all of our gear. I highly recommend it. And the cost for that split between three guys uh, the total was $2,200, I believe. Uh, so for an extra, uh, let's just say $750, bucks, uh, we had all the amenities that you could want up in the mountains. Uh, our camp was at 11,400 feet, and we actually hunted down towards the elk every day. Let me tell you, that made for a long hike out every night. Uh, and we, we usually got up about 4, 4.30 and got back to camp around 9, 9.30. Uh, with the exception of the last couple days, we slept in till six or seven because most of the activity we were seeing was midday anyway. Uh, so cost, like I said, five, six hundred bucks on your license. Uh, and if you want to do something like an equipped drop camp, you know, factor in another seven, eight hundred dollars roughly for that. We did have to bring all of our own food and obviously, you know, your gear from your sleeping bag to your packs, all that stuff. Um, so if you need new gear, you'll have to factor that into the, the overall cost as well. But very affordable when you talk about outfitters charging between $4,500 and $7,000 for an elk hunt. Uh, we did this thing for, let's just say, around $1,600, $1,700. Okay, uh, next thing to hit on, physical fitness. For me, I really let myself go once Aaron and I started having kiddos and was up to 211 pounds. Uh, the day that we got drawn for this hunt. Since that time, I dropped down to 187, and that was all through cardio and just changing up my diet a little bit, um, mostly just running on the treadmill. You can do it however you want to. Uh, I know David also lost about 20 pounds. Chisholm's situation was a little different, and I'll let him uh, talk about that here uh, in just a little bit. Uh, but physical fitness, I cannot overstate the importance of being in shape. I mean, you simply, you can't chase elk around the mountains if you're not physically capable of doing it. And, uh, and man, we pushed ourselves to the physical limit 
every day of this hunt. And I tell you what, every time I was on that treadmill, uh, some days I'd have my pack on and, and people would be giving me a real funny look, but I didn't care because in my mind, I was playing out how this hunt would go down. Uh, just, you know, with a big bull lined up in my peep and, uh, and it all came to fruition uh, for me. I, I took a nice five by five on the third day of the hunt, called him into 18 yards with a series of, of bugles and cow calls, uh, just kind of alternating, trying to make this big boy think that uh, I had one of his cows. And he came in broadside, and I let the, the elite go. And that thing went in a little back, went in his liver, but ended up just destroying his back left femur, severing his femoral artery, and he bled out internally very quickly. Uh, so uh, the highlight of my hunting career uh, thus far for sure, uh, all the preparation that went into this hunt uh, came full circle, and uh, and I couldn't be happier, and I couldn't have hunted with two better guys. Uh, that's also very important when you're thinking about going into the mountains for a week. Uh, you want to be with people who are knowledgeable and people who are as dedicated as you, uh, which uh, both David and Chisholm uh, were that and then some. Uh, so uh, other thing to think about, and I've done it both ways. I've, I've done the solo hunt where last year I went in solo, uh, did it by myself, and didn't see another person for the better part of a week. I tell you what, by day three or four, you're looking around for someone to talk to, uh, and it gets a little lonely. Plus, when you do take an elk, it sure makes packing it out a lot easier when you've got your buddies to help you out. So uh, that's uh, those are kind of my initial thoughts uh, on public land elk hunting. Uh, I'm not an expert uh, by any stretch of the imagination. This was only my second time. Uh, but if I can go out there and do it, any of you listening today can certainly do the same. A uh, last thing I do want to mention, and this is something I'm very excited about, is we have just partnered up with Scentblocker. Uh, they are the official apparel of our show. And I got to try out all of their gear on this hunt. Let me tell you, after seven days in the mountains without a shower, you're smelling pretty ripe. And I don't know how the elk didn't smell me. Uh, as I called in, actually called in four bulls uh, within archery range. I'm, and I'm talking about like in close, inside 20 yards. Um, and if they couldn't smell me, then it had something to do with the Trinity technology. I don't understand how it all works even, uh, but that's something that we're going to get into more on a future show uh, because whether you're chasing elk or whitetail or whatever, being as close to scent-free as possible is the ultimate goal. And, uh, and I was kept warm, dry, and certainly undetected uh, by the Scent Blocker Trinity technology. So look for uh, some more info on Scent Blocker, plus some insane deals and discounts um, from Scent Blocker in future episodes of the show. So exciting stuff there. Uh, let's go ahead and take a quick break. Actually, you know what? Let's work in a giveaway here. Um, our friends over at Havilon were nice enough to uh, hook us up with an extra... Hydra. This is the brand new knife. It's got the capability for the traditional Havilon blade, their fillet blade, and the bone saw, uh, something that was very handy, obviously, on uh, on my elk trip as we had to debone those bad boys uh, just for uh, the sheer weight that they would have put on our backs otherwise. Uh, but I've got a brand new Havilon Hydra that we will give away this morning to, let's just say everyone's eligible. All you have to do is text in the word Havilon. That's Havilon 
to 214-289-7807. That's Havilon to 214-289-7807. And we'll get you entered into a random drawing for the all-new Havilon Hydra. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, our good friend, wildlife biologist, Eagle Scout, He's largely responsible for my indoctrination into hunting uh, all those years ago. And the same fellow who, when I tell my wife that I'm going on a week-long trip into the mountains and she gets a little concerned, I say, hey, babe, don't worry about it. David's going to be there. Uh, a look of calm and relief always comes over her face. Uh, my lifelong friend David Morgan joins us next on the Elk Hunting Edition of Gal Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show. For a little Mountains breathe just like they did before. Hey, North Texas sports fans, this is Brian Spagnola, general manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800 9 Go hunt or visit our website at www.biggame.org. BioBore EB is the premier gasoline additive that combats the negative effects ethanol has on an engine. Its comprehensive formula is designed to protect marine engines and marine environments, yet also works great in all two- and four-stroke engines. It prevents phase separation and ethanol-related engine problems while stabilizing fuel for 18 months. BioBore's detergents also clean the entire fuel system of carbon and varnishes. BioBore EB has the best treat rate in the industry. One ounce treats an amazing 15 gallons of gas. Available at your local sporting goods store or visit BioBore.com today. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffpair for Hoffpair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffpair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. Hi, this is Fred Eichler with Easton Bowhunting and Predator Nation. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. September and the 
rocky, the bull elk bugles ring. Their sounds fill the canyons, it's like they're trying to sing. Fall winds blowing winter, and the snow's falling deep. It's time of year. Rich Fire's the name of that one there from Dale Watson bringing us back on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thank you so much for letting me ride shotgun with you this morning. I sincerely do appreciate you tuning in as we are rocking and rolling here on our elk hunting special edition of the presentation. Uh, we are about to be joined by our next guest, one of my hunting buddies, David Morgan, uh, who was on our elk hunt last week. Uh, but before we do that, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. To get involved with this great group of like-minded folks passionate about hunter advocacy, education, and conservation, check us out at biggame.org. Uh, well, our first guest today is uh, a lifelong family friend of mine. He's an outdoorsman and woodsman in every sense of the word. It's my pleasure to welcome David Morgan to the show. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, have you fully recovered from the physical beating we put on ourselves uh, in New Mexico last <laughs> week? Uh, yeah, for the most part. I don't know. I think I lost about four or five pounds. <laughs> Just, yeah. uh, we clear up there, and I probably gained a pound or two of that back. I yeah. I haven't uh, been able to work out yet or haven't had the <laughs> motivation to yeah i'm still uh, a little too study. stiff i think yeah yeah well hey before we get going here i'd like the record to show that while you know i grew up camping and fishing it was it was you that really is responsible for this messy and somewhat i guess perfect lifestyle that uh, <laughs> i live today so i uh, appreciate that uh, i'll take credit <laughs> going all the way back to that that horrible duck hunt on Ray Roberts. Oh, I mean, it's, it's you can't really say horrible. We got to see a beautiful sunrise, but we got yeah. skunked. I don't know that we even saw any ducks. Um, yeah, if we did, they were a long way off. So. But uh, somehow that got that stuck with me, got in my blood, and changed uh, you know changed my life forever. And and uh, I have my Eagle Scout buddy to thank for that. So we appreciate it. <laughs> Um, well, hey, um, before we talk about our trip, tell us a little bit about what you do. You've got a master's in, in wildlife biology. Uh, you've sifted mm -hmm. through grizzly poop for an entire summer <laughs> up in Alberta. You've, you've seen and done uh, some things that, you know, most people couldn't even dream of doing. Uh, so tell us, you know, a little bit about what you do today. Yeah, I've got my undergrad from A&M and my master's from Texas State and I've done a lot of uh, temporary field biology jobs. It's kind of all over the place. A lot of work with, with endangered species. And now I'm working for a private environmental consulting company and um, doing wildlife surveys and pre-construction surveys for usually new utility lines. And so I've been doing this for almost three years, I guess. So um, I guess I'm a full-time employed <laughs> biologist. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, awesome. But yeah, I enjoy it. it keeps me outside. Yeah. I enjoy. Yeah. Well, you know, you've you've been a hunter pretty much your entire life. Um and uh between the three members of our hunting party, myself, uh Chisholm and you, uh Chisholm and I both agree, I mean, hands down you're the best hunter and outdoorsman among us. Um how long have you been bow hunting? Um, I think this year this is gonna I think this is gonna be my tenth year. Uh -huh. um, I started bow hunting in college so I could pretty much 
opening up new opportunities on public land around College Station, and uh, I've been hooked ever since. So I've been probably I've probably taken about two dozen deer or so, uh, mostly does and spikes with my bow, and a lot of pigs, several turkeys, and it's an addicting way of life. Yeah, <laughs> and mostly doing the public land thing the last four years or so. Yeah, and uh, but uh, it's a lot harder, but a lot more rewarding. No but, doubt. <laughs> yeah. That's what we did here last week was, uh, you know, first of all, we, we applied for uh, archery elk hunt in New Mexico. We're fortunate enough to get drawn. And, uh, and you know, going back to our dads, New Mexico's kind of been in our blood, uh, but our dads have been going to, uh, doing a backpacking trip in New Mexico, I think over 30 years now from uh, you know, the church yeah. that we grew up in and, and something your dad started. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the preparation as far as both physically I uh, know you lost, I think, what, around 20 pounds or so? Yeah, yeah, right around 20 pounds before we hit the, hit the mountain. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, we knew what it was going to take, uh, having done it before. But but other than, you know, the running and, and the cardio, and uh, and I think you even got into yoga a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started yeah. doing that with my wife. Working, <laughs> working on that flexibility. Oh, uh, yeah, it helps, too. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Uh, I haven't taken that. I haven't taken that step, but uh, who knows? I'm feeling pretty old right now. So, uh, but you know, hours spent pouring over maps. I mean, uh, that that's something that you oh, yeah. that you do a lot of uh, looking at the topo maps and coming up with the ideal place for us to set our camp as far as uh, you know elevation and you know how close we wanted to be to that area we were going to be hunting. Uh, mm-hmm. So I mean, that's a big part of it as well. But it, w- it was an area that we were familiar with. You know, having grouse hunted it previously and then you and i actually both hunted it last year uh, as mm-hmm. i drew an archery tag and you a muzzle loader so we didn't get to hunt together um, but you took a, an awesome six by six on opening morning of muzzle loader season yeah. last october and i imagine yeah. that was the highlight of your hunting career up to this point oh it, it was it was um that was an amazing trip i mean i i got up up there two or three days before the season opened did some scouting and i I managed to find that big six by six uh, uh, early in the evening before the season opened, and so I sat there and glassed them for a while and listened to them and backed out. And then I was lucky enough to come in the next morning, way before daylight, and he was still bugling in that same valley. I heard him the night before and managed to put a good stock on him and dropped him in his tracks with my muzzle loader. And um, yeah, I. I still remember that feeling of walking up to that guy. I was like, oh, man, he's the size of a horse. This thing's huge. How am I going to get him out of here? But, uh, yeah, I was. I, I called my wife on the satellite phone after that, and I was like, I got him. I got him. Yeah. She said she hadn't heard me that excited in a long, long time, if ever. <laughs> she said I sounded more excited than I was at our own wedding. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh. Yeah, it was It was a thrilling moment. I was. I was – blessed slash lucky to to come upon that guy and and slip in on him and a funny little Uh, tidbit uh, i think your wife you know since you took one last year and you applied this year and we got drawn she's like wait a second i thought this was like a one-time thing (laughs) yeah i was like nope i'm hooked (laughs) it's a way of life baby i'm i'm sorry yeah no (laughs) doubt um well on our trip here last week you know we were in elk just about every day um and like we said we'd both hunted this area before we knew there were elk there but i imagine it was a little different for you hunting them in the rut, you know, or the pre-rut compared to last year when, you know, your big guy already had a bunch of cows with him. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was it was a lot different this year. There this year they're still uh, sorting out their pecking orders. We did see some some pretty nice bulls that already had cows with them, and those guys were were very almost impossible to call in. They were just they were hung up. They didn't no matter what you call them, they weren't budging. They were sticking around their cows. But I mean, last year was also a lot easier because I was a muzzleloader, so I didn't have to get <laughs> 30 yards from. Right. But um. But and last year they seemed to be a little bit more vocal on their own. This year we had to definitely coax them into talking a little more. Um. Although they were beagling a little on their own. Um. But um. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um. It was a whole different game plan this year. You know, a lot of a lot of still hunting and working the thick timber and the bedding areas compared to you know, hunting the more open spaces where you can get a longer shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so talk about that, though, as far as, you know, the close encounters that we had, because we all had them. For me, there's nothing that I've ever done in the great outdoors that is as thrilling as calling in a big bull elk. Oh, yeah, especially when you got him bugling and he's prowling and you hear him breathing almost. You know, it's, it's a rush. Uh, I, w- I want to get it back up there right now <laughs> just to <laughs> just to watch them. But um, yeah, I think I learned more about because this is my first real time getting out there and spending a lot of time deep in the woods, real close to a lot of elk. And so I think I learned more just about elk behavior and elk vocalizations and and all that just in the first two or three days we were out there than I than I had all last year, just because we were in so close and we were we were in their backyards in their in their bedroom basically mm-hmm. yeah. and uh it was very interesting to watch their vocal reactions to reactions to our calling reactions to the other bulls calling in the area yeah it was definitely a different game this year well yeah and one thing i said in, in my kind of my recap of the whole trip was you know last year was my first elk hunt your first elk hunt and then this year you know i actually took a bull on tuesday um you put an arrow in one on wednesday chisholm killed one on friday and this was Chisholm's first hunt. So for anyone out there listening who's like, well, I don't know anything about elk hunting. You know, I, you know, it sounds great, but how do I get into it? You don't have to be a pro. Uh, the, the really, the main thing is putting in the legwork, being physically fit enough to chase them and find out where they are. Uh, and then calling mm-hmm. them in, you know, I'm, I'm very much a novice at that, uh, but was able on Tuesday to call in a bull to 18 yards, put an arrow in him. Uh, so if I can do it, anybody can do it. Is I guess kind of what I'm saying. <laughs> it's all about practice and being confident in yeah. calling. Well, I don't know how confident I was, but uh, it didn't seem to bother those bulls. As as uh, they were pretty responsive for me throughout the week. But David, we do need to knock out a quick break uh, before we get into your bull. And really, the only negative thing that happened on this entire trip. Uh, so, are you cool to stick around for another segment? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. And that segment of the show, by the way, brought to you by Pulsar, where they strive to provide outdoorsmen with the latest innovations in thermal imaging and digital night vision technology. Pulsar continues to set the gold standard in image quality, producing first-class rifle scopes and optics for hunters around the world. Keep your prey in sight day or night by visiting PulsarNV.com. Y'all don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more from our good friend David Morgan right here on the Elk Edition of Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Sending you this postcard to tell you that I'm fine And let you know wherever I go you never leave my mind 
best place for boots in Texas is the Texas Boot Company in Bastrop. Make plans to attend their Design Your Own Boot Trunk Show and Wild Game Cookout September 11th and 12th. Visit TexasBootCompany.com for details. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. Cable Smith here for the beautiful Eagle Shores in Lake Bob Sandland. Only a few deep water dockable lakefront home sites remain. This is the fastest selling community ever on Lake Bob Sandland. So come enjoy the no pressure atmosphere when you take a look at these amazing lakefront properties before they sell out. Call 877-9-Lakeside or visit www.eagleshorestexas.com. Rockwall Gun Club is North Texas' premier shooting facility, offering both indoor and outdoor ranges, including a unique 500-yard rifle range. If shotgunning's your thing, then check out the 18-station clay course. Opening summer 2014, Rockwall Gun Club is offering special introductory family and corporate membership rates for founding members. Located at 15950 State Highway 205, you can also visit rockwallgunclub.com or call 972-215-6902. Rockwall Gun Club, the private shooting experience. At Frost, we could talk to you about our 24-7 online banking. Or we could talk to you about our more than 1,100 ATMs across Texas. We can even talk to you about our mobile banking app that lets you pay bills, transfer funds, and deposit checks from anywhere. But at the end of the day, there's nothing we enjoy more than to just talk to you. Thank you for calling Frost. How may I help you? We're here with the technology and convenience you want and the service you deserve. Frost. Banking. Investments. Insurance. Hi, this is Governor Greg Abbott, and I want to thank you for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I work the clubs along the Sangre de Cristos, polished a diamond in the rough. By the time I hit L.A., I was hotter than a pistol, but you never hot enough, little darling. It's one of my favorites there from Ray Wiley Hubbard bringing us back on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Cable Smith here. Thank you so much for tuning in. I do appreciate it as we are talking mountains, bugling bulls, and all things elk this morning. Uh, but before we continue recapping our hunt from last week with a couple of good friends, this segment of the show is brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Josh and Becky Gunther do amazing work. They're based uh, right outside of San Antonio in Marion, Texas, and I've been using them exclusively for all my taxidermy work for, gosh, four or five years now, from whitetail to exotics, black bear, ducks, fish, you name it. Heck, even my New Mexico bull from last week. If I've got a trophy worthy of going on the wall, I call Josh and Becky. Why? Because these award-winning taxidermists answer the phone when I call, and they turn out amazing work relatively quickly. I'm not talking about a year-and-a-half turnaround time. No, sir. I'm talking three, four, five, six months max. So uh, check it out. GR8 mounts. That's GR, the numeral 8, mounts.com. Uh, well, without further ado, let's go ahead and pick it back up here with David Morgan. Um, if you're just joining us, David 
was one of the three individuals who made up our uh, our elk hunting party in New Mexico last week. Uh, by far uh, the most seasoned outdoorsman of the group and uh, a polished bow hunter. And just to kind of reset here, um, I had taken a nice 5x5 five five on Tuesday. Uh, David and, and Chisholm helped pack that thing out. And uh, Wednesday we were back at it. Chisholm and I were hunting together that day. And, and about midday we got David on the radio. And we're excited to find out that he had stuck an arrow in a bull. But unfortunately, uh, Dave, you weren't really satisfied with the penetration that you got on that elk. Uh, so walk us through that shot and, and exactly what you saw that put a little bit of doubt in the back of your mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm still pretty sick about it. We, um, I, I called him in. He just came in perfect. He, he, gave me, he was coming in broadside, and um, of course he stopped. 20 yards out broadside, but his vitals were right behind a tree that was about five yards in front of me. And I, I could see his head and I could see his rear end. And he, the wind was starting to swirl. And, um, you know, I leaned back so I could get a shot at his vitals. And about the same time I leaned back, he took, he stepped back and put his leg that was facing me a little farther back. And I released my arrow and I'm pretty sure I hit his front leg. And um, I, I saw immediately I didn't get the penetration I wanted. Um, and, um, I mean, I watched him run off, and he was limping. And he, he looked like, you know, it was still a decent hit. Mm-hmm. And it looked like I was hoping he, he ran over a little little mound, a little ridge, and I was hoping he just went down right there. But I saw the penetration, and I, I knew I didn't like it right away. And I waited about 30, 45 minutes, and I just went over to where I – let the arrow loose and I found my what was left of my arrow and it looked like I'd gotten about nine inches of penetration mm-hmm. and it looked like good blood on the ground but I still didn't like it so I backed out and I actually went all the way back to camp and that's when I got y'all on the radio and so we ended up waiting a good four hours before all three of us got back over there and started looking for him and um I mean yeah you were there I mean we were following blood we were following good blood Oh yeah, we all, I mean, we all, some pools we, all we were thought, big enough, like we're saying, oh, he's going to be right over here. I mean, big piles of, you know, dark blood, yeah. and and uh, and we spent uh, we spent the next four or five hours basically till dark tracking him. Yeah. I think it's about a third of a mile as a crow flies. That's what we followed him that first night. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, you know, it was getting dark, and we we're we had left our packs back where I took the shot, so we you know we backed out of there and. I said I decided I was going to let him sit overnight and come back in the morning. And um, I went back solo the next day and picked up the blood trail um, pretty good ways away from where we left off. I, I He he was on a beeline for somewhere, and so I went to a creek that was a couple hundred yards in front of where we ended, where we lost the trail the night before, and I picked it up again. Every trail I came past, you know, I'd get down on my hands and knees and look at look at elk tracks and I, I eventually pretty much everywhere where he hopped a log he was leaving blood on the logs and uh, his front right track had blood in it consistently so I picked up the trail again and followed his blood trail the entire next day I mean pretty much from when I got out there to you know an hour before dark and and uh, he just kept going kept going and eventually ran out of good light to look and went back the next day and uh, eventually um, 
I only found one bloody hoof print a ways away from where I'd ended the day before. And, um, I searched all over that area for oh, two yeah. and a half days. And I eventually looking on my GPS cause I was taking GPS points as I was tracking them to kind of track his movements. And he had traveled probably at, at least, if not more than a mile and a half from where I took the shot. Wow. And, um, so tough animals. Uh, you always hear about how tough elk are and, they've got to be to live in the, the country that they do uh, live in. And yep. uh, I mean, we couldn't believe it with the amount of blood that we, that this guy lost it. He was still uh, trucking, but without seeing any birds or anything like that, you know, uh, scavengers, I, I I tend to believe that he's still alive and, and probably survived that hit. I, I hope so. I mean, you know, looking back, I've replayed that, that split second over in my head over and over and over hundreds of times since I took that shot. And, you know, I definitely think I got a piece of that, um, that big heavy bone in his, in his arm, his upper arm. And, uh, you know, just didn't get the penetration. The arrow must've deflected and just, you know, cut enough to get some good blood, but, uh, didn't go in deep enough to, to seal a deal. Mm-hmm. So I'm still sick about, it. you know, I, I, I never like to lose an animal. I haven't lost an animal in many years, and yeah, I'm still sick over it. But well, I mean, that's just the ugly reality of hunting. And uh, you know, if the if the best hunter among our group, you know, who's been bow hunting over a decade, taking dozens and dozens of animals, uh, loses one, then it just goes to show you. I mean, it could happen to anybody, and it does happen. And and yeah, it makes us all sick to our stomach. Uh, but I appreciate you, you know, having the uh, stones to come on here and talk about it. Maybe someone else can learn from it. Um, yeah. Uh, and and here's the the uh, the thing that uh, there was never a doubt in my mind. As soon as you drew blood, you put your bow up, and I mean, your hunt was over. Uh, yeah. You you tracked that guy for two and a half days, never found him. Uh, but there's hunters out there who would draw blood and continue hunting. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, I had one tag. I drew blood. That's that's my tag in my mind. So. Yeah. Um. You know whether I found him or not, he was he was my bull. Whether I was either going to find him or I wasn't. So yeah. if I didn't, then I was going to come back and try to call for Chisholm that last day, yeah. that last afternoon. But uh, well, well, it still turned out to be an epic hunt and trip that uh, none of us will ever forget. So while it didn't work out for you on this trip, as far as the personal harvest, it was really still a team effort. We we all worked together, the three of us, to pack right. out three uh two bulls just i mean just getting them to the trail so that we could call the horses on the satellite phone and get them in there eight miles to pick them up was i mean that took a half a day uh each time oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but uh you know just kind of coming full circle here uh for three texas guys three flatlanders to go into uh new mexico and and take two bulls and get an arrow in a third um you know i'd say that that's pretty good for a unit with less than 20 percent success yeah. So. Yeah, but I definitely think our our advantage was that you know you and I had been in that area before. We knew there were elk in there before. You know we, you know we've been scouting that area for a couple of years before we even drew a tag. And we we knew there were consistently elk in there. You know you got to put in that leg work and do the scouting and know that there's going to be elk in there because you know you and I scouted areas or ever all three of us scouted areas you know around where we were hunting. You know they all looked good on the map, but until we got on the ground and realized, you know, the elk weren't in there that time of year, even though there's old sign, you know, we, but we narrowed it down to the areas we had previously scouted and 
and uh, knew that we're holding out that time of year. You know? And we were definitely on them. I feel like we were very fortunate to <laughs> see the number of elk and hear the number of elk we did. I know that's not usually typical for oh, a yeah. lot of bow hunters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Public hunting is uh it's it's not uh it's not a piece of cake. Um, no. Well, hey brother, I appreciate you coming on today and uh it's a, like we said a trip that I know none of us will forget. Um yep. and uh we'll look forward to uh going down to Chisholm's Deer Lease in in South Texas here in a couple months. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You bet, Dave. Yeah. Pleasure, All brother. Right. All right, it's been a pleasure. Take care. All right, you too. All right, there he goes, our good friend and hunting buddy, David Morgan. Uh, we appreciate him hopping on and, and giving us his thoughts on uh, our elk hunt from last week because it was a very different hunt for all three of us uh, who went on that trip. Uh, that segment of the show, by the way, proudly brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. Since 1917, they've assured their borrowers competitive interest rates on real estate loans, rural home loans, livestock, and farm and ranch loans. Let Lone Star Ag Credit help you finance your piece of Texas today by visiting LoneStarAgCredit.com. Uh, let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll be joined by the third and final member of our hunting party as we continue talking elk here. The devoted archer Chisholm Cook drops in next only on DSC's Lone Star Outdoors show. The mountains win again. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. LSC Trailer Sales offers a full line of utility trailers, from small single axle trailers to heavy equipment trailers, ATV trailers, car haulers, landscape trailers, cargo trailers, truck beds, and more. They can special order a custom trailer to fit your needs and have the ability to customize standard models in-house. LSC Trailer Sales is here to assist you with any questions that you have about trailers. Call 940-566-1133 or visit lsctrailersales.com. That's lsctrailersales.com. Are you looking for the perfect place to send your hunting buddy? Then check out Tioga Retrievers. With over 20 years experience, Angie and Tim Becker can provide you with a field champion or a well-rounded hunting companion. Tioga Retrievers takes pride in catering to the needs of each owner and their dog. Conveniently located 45 miles north of DFW in Aubrey, Texas, Tioga Retrievers also offers day training and boarding. Call 940-440-0018 or visit them online at www.tiogaretrievers.com. That's T-I-O-G-A retrievers.com. Young horses are known to break a man's bones, to tear him apart at the 
Welcoming everybody back to Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. You are tuned into a special Wapiti edition of the show. Uh, elk, elk, and more elk is what we're talking this morning. Don't get me wrong; I'm not an authority on elk hunting, but uh, we did want to chronicle our uh, public land hunt in New Mexico uh, with a couple of good friends. Uh, we've been talking about it, preparing for it for so long. Uh, so, we're giving you three Texas boys' take on Western big game hunting. Uh, of course, our good friend Randy Newberg will be here at the bottom of the hour as uh, uh, we will add some actual validity uh, to this morning's presentation, uh, not just recapping our experiences, but uh, Randy is uh, certainly an authority on elk hunting, the, the spokesman for the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, so we're looking forward to having him join us here momentarily. Um, but before we check in with the third member of our hunting party, uh, Chisholm Cook, the devoted archer, this segment of the show is brought to you by our friends over at Forever Last Hunting and Fishing Products, a Texas-based family-owned company. Uh, we've got a special promo we're running on Facebook right now. Uh, we're giving away the Forever Last Tailgater Camp Grill. Uh, this is perfect for the deer lease as well as, uh, I don't know, maybe you're heading to a college football game this weekend. Anyway, the tailgater grill is perfect. Throw it in the back of your truck and head on out. Uh, this thing retails for $149.99 and we're giving one away. Go check out the promo we're running on our Lone Star Outdoors Show Facebook page as we're just giving away uh, one of these awesome Foreverlast tailgater grills. Uh, you can also find them at foreverlast.com. Foreverlast, where we live hunting and fishing. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and bring on our next guest here. Uh, he is actually a college buddy of mine. We've known each other for, gosh, gosh, we're getting old, Chisholm, but about 15 years now. It's my pleasure to welcome Chisholm Cook to the show. Of course. Always a pleasure. It's great to have you. And uh, I know I'm still on cloud nine. I imagine you are as well. <laughs> no doubt about it, man. I <laughs> I thought that this, you know, the, the amount of work we put into it and the uh, the you know, exhilaration and, and just the volume of meat we brought home, I'd be satisfied. And I think I even said when we were still up there that I wasn't even interested in deer hunting, but then I've already got the bug again. I can't wait to go back and chase elk again. <laughs> it definitely gets in your blood, that's for sure. Uh, and, and this journey we embarked on began about six months ago when we uh, applied for the New Mexico draw. Uh, finally came to an end last week which obviously we're going to talk about here momentarily but first of all um tell our audience what you do for a living uh i am a i guess i'm an environmental attorney i work for a small um, waste processing company formerly i worked for a, a large energy and environmental consulting firm so i um i help industries companies deal with uh, regulations uh, with permitting and compliance and things like that Okay, and so probably about four or five years ago, uh, I had a little bow that I brought down to the deer lease in, your, your deer lease in South Texas, and um, we somehow managed to kill an eight-point buck that weekend with it. And, and it was it was different for you and me, though, because I, I enjoy bow hunting, but you're absolutely obsessed with it. I mean, that, that's your passion. Other than God and your family, bow hunting really is uh, is, is something that you live day in and day out. 
Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I think I've kind of realized lately, you know, the difference between, you know, you and me or, you know, somebody who's a, a bow hunter and sort of the way I look at it is I'm really, really into archery. I'm really into the bow and the arrow combination, the way you set it up, tuning it, tweaking it, you know, getting it performing to its, you know, absolute maximum capacity. You know, I think it's cool that I can take the same bow and set it up one way to do a, a 3D tournament, but then I'm going to, you know, have a totally different setup to shoot a whitetail and then a totally different setup to go shoot an elk. So, um, you know, I started down the journey of learning how to, uh, as I like to say, you know, chase this dragon of, of perfect arrow flight this summer when my wife got me a, my, a bow press for Father's Day. And, you know, one of the things I was most proud of with this hunt was that I, I took my bow and I got it set up. And I, you know, I manipulated all those variables and then, you know, because of that, I had the confidence to execute a really good shot in the mountain. So, you know, I would say that you take just as much enjoyment out of the bow, the aspect of bow hunting, the act of bow hunting and the act of harvesting with a bow as I do. The main difference is I love all of the nerd out hard, you know, frustrating. I mean, there were times where I was like pulling my hair out trying to get that thing ready <laughs> to go out to go on this hunt but that was all that stuff was as much fun and as much a part of it for me as as for you you know so yeah um, well there was times there was times on our hunt where you'd be talking to me about bow hunting stuff and just the semantics and all you know gear type stuff and i'd just be looking at you like are you speaking english dude i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) yeah uh but, but, I mean, you've been so invested in it. I mean, you started your own uh, blog, DevotedArcher.com, which we've been sharing on our Facebook page. And you've kind of chronicled this whole journey of once we got drawn. Um, but it's been more about bow hunting, uh, more than just about bow hunting for you, though, and actually harvesting an elk. It's really, it was about bettering yourself as a person. Yeah, I, I still, it seemed at the time like it all really made sense. And lately I've found it hard to sort of, to, to describe to somebody how, like, you know, getting ready for and going on this elk hunt somehow, like you just said, said, sort of was this anchor point for this kind of journey I wanted to go on. But there had just been this, uh, you know, this need I'd had for some time to, you know, reconnect to my my, my spirituality and, you know, reconnect to Christ. And, you know, it started a few years ago, you know, we really got back into church. We've got three kids. The oldest will be seven soon. And, and then the next kid will be five this month. And then we have a, a baby that's, you know, like 16 months. And, you know, for the last six or seven years, we've kind of had a baby in the house almost all the time, which makes it, I, I call it an excuse, but, you know, it certainly makes it kind of tough to go somewhere like church, you know, sit down and you want to listen and absorb what's going on. And your baby starts crying and my wife was never really comfortable handing a baby off to a relative stranger in a nursery so we could go in. So, but I had this calling, you know, as the man of my household and the, you know, the leader of my family to be what the Bible calls us to be, which is our, you know, the spiritual leader, the prayer leader of, of our families and make sure my kids were raised that way. So it's been something that's been kind of a slow burn that's been progressing and progressing. And I started to realize that, okay, you know, just going to church once a week is not enough, but, you know, I, I wanted to, to really commit to daily prayer, you know, daily Bible reading or Bible study and, and knew that, you know, that would be a, a great way to square a lot of things in my life away, you know, to work harder, being a good dad, a good father, you know, good employee, whatever. And, you know, somehow I kind of connected those two things together and said, 
you know, I'm going to apply with this thing with my buddies, with my buddy Cable and my new buddy David. And I'm, I know that, that the strength that will take to be successful up there, not, not even necessarily successful, at, you know, harvesting an elk, but just making it through a week of the rigors, the endurance necessary to climb up and down mountains for, for five or six days, even if we ended up not getting an elk that I knew I needed to be, you know, in the best shape I could be in and, you know, be really focused, um, you know, find the time to, to get the, to put the work into the bow and into the shooting and, and all that. So I said, you know, there's no better way that I'm aware of to, to gain that kind of discipline and, and strength and determination than to, you know, to connect with God and ask him to sort of lead you. And we talked about this a couple of times, but it's not like I ever once, I haven't once prayed, God help me kill an elk. Right. You know, I, I use, I started the blog because I wanted, I wanted to start wearing my Christianity out of my sleeve where, you know, I could uh, maybe impact or, or influence others to, um, you know, reconnect their lives to Christ and, you know, not just be about me leading the, the, the four women in my family, but anybody that I come in contact with, just trying to, like you said, better myself, be a better representative of a Christian. You know, we applied, I actually put all that out there about the time we applied for our permits. And, you know, people would ask me, what happens if you don't get drawn and you've done all this work? And I was like, well, I'm just going to continue to work continue to pray every day and read the Bible every day and you know, try to get in shape and, you know, not drink very much and, and whatever, <laughs> be a better husband, father, and man than I was yesterday because it's the right thing to do. And the cool thing was then a month later we did get drawn after I'd put all that out there and I couldn't shake the, the notion that again, I, ne- I never prayed to God, Hey God, please let us draw a permit. I just yeah. prayed to God, Hey God, help me to work hard to achieve the goals that you set out for me. And, and we definitely, we definitely worked. Uh, I mean, and, and you and I kept each other accountable, uh, kind of on the workout thing. I mean, you, you live in Houston, I live in, in McKinney, but we would text each other every day, you know, Hey, ran four miles today. Or you, you'd say I did, uh, 60 flights of stairs after I, you know, did, uh, I don't know, what is it? The, the cowbells that you're, <laughs> you yeah, know, you met another guy who had an, I eat elk shirt at the gym and y'all became workout <laughs> buddies. And he, he busted your tail, um, but, you know, this trip, uh, I guess our mountain experience, David and I's experience was a lot different than yours. We'd been doing this kind of stuff for going on 15 years now uh, with our dads. And your mountain time was basically limited to snow skiing up to this point. Yeah. So you're, you didn't really know what to expect. And, and while we did a lot more cardio, you were hammering the weights and really putting in some, some serious workouts. And, and we were trying to, you know, we were kind of fat. We each lost over 20 pounds. You gained you gained weight, you gained muscle mass. So, um, I think though it helped because you were the beast packing the elks out. Uh, but I think next year you you probably will do a little more cardio as well. For sure, I'm gonna mix it up uh, and take a different approach next year. Not a drastically different approach, but you know I did think it was funny. You and I went to pick up David at his at his mom and dad's house, and his dad's like, "Okay, well, how much are you lose?" And you said twenty pounds. And David, how much you use? Losing, he said twenty, and he said, "Tism, did you lose any weight?" And I said, "Actually, I put on ten pounds." And I was thinking, <laughs> at that moment, I thought, "That doesn't. I don't know how well. I don't know if that bodes real well for what's about to come." And then, you know, sure enough, I tried to follow you up just a few hundred vertical feet up the wrong trail the day we got there, and I was sucking wind, man. And I was thinking, "Oh my gosh, what? A, you know, I, I thought I was ready for this." And you know, it turned out I got acclimated. 
it wasn't nearly as bad. Um, but yeah, I had prepared for heavy lifting and I think you guys had really worked on the conditioning, cardiovascular conditioning. And I will do a lot more of just, you know, hard, long distance jogging, um, next year to try to get my lungs built up a bit more. But at the same time, I think I want to maintain, you know, a pretty healthy strength regimen because, sure. you know, one of the things I think that also made a difference, I know you guys could run farther than me by the time I got there, but, you know, I carried a pack with basically all my gear that I would need for the day, food, sometimes even some additional food for the next day in case we ended up stuck on the mountain, my kill kit and all, and I, and I actually carried my hiking pack. So when you got, when we found your bull that day, I was ready to rock. You guys didn't even have your hiking packs, so I was always kind of trailing <laughs> behind y'all, but I was always carrying a little bit more weight, too. Yeah. But I never got sore, and that was one thing that I took some uh, relief or, I guess, you know, pride in was that mus- my muscles endured even if my my breath was not as strong as y'all. So. No doubt, yeah. no doubt. Well, you know, I mean, looking at my GPS, I think we averaged between, you know, 12, uh, probably 10 to 12 miles a day. Uh, walking and, and a lot of that's uphill and a lot of that was bushwhacking and people don't realize the deadfall is just a number of fallen trees up there on the mountaintop uh, that that can wear on you pretty significantly uh, so the physical fitness aspect we all you know we all put in the time and work and it, and it definitely paid off um, but but actually talking about the hunt itself uh, Tuesday the third day of the hunt I killed my five by five uh, you had the pleasure of actually finding that bull for me as he ran across the creek and, you know, ended up piling up about 50 yards from where I shot him. But, uh, I mean, that was one of the most joyous moments of, of my life. And, you know, we got to share it together. That was pretty cool. It was really cool, man. Um, you know, I talked a bit about prayer when you called me and said, Hey man, you want to come help me find this bull? I was just as pumped as I could be. And the first thing I did was pray, God, please help me find Cable's bull, you know? And, um, you know, to to get to be there and experience it with you when you found it, um, you know, and to have had a part in that, you know, I, I've been on the other side of that. We talked about this too, where, you know, I lost my first two mature whitetail bucks that I, that I hit with a bow. And when you're the shooter and you start looking and you're, you're not entirely confident with where the shot was, you didn't really see it. You know, you just know you made impact and the blood trail is not that great. That, um, you know, that doubt can snowball into, uh, you know, borderline panic pretty quickly. And not that you were in any way panicked, but it's easier, I think, sometimes for a third-party non-shooter with experience to come into that setting and look around and assess the sign they see and say, all right, you know, you had said you had really good, you know, you had good blood at the shot. And I tried to ask you on the satellite phones, was it red, bright red or dark red? But you didn't hear me, and I didn't want to, you know, disturb you or bug you with that. But when I got there, my first thought was, oh, we got dark blood. It's you know, it looks like it might have been a little bit back. and But then, you know, he laid down after just 20 yards where he didn't even really run. And he, you know, that to me said that animal's hurt and hurt pretty bad. And we may not have good blood to track, but I don't think he went very far if he only went 20 yards from the moment you hit him and bedded down. And, you know, so where, you know, I think everybody was really looking for blood. I kind of stepped back and looked at the situation and said, okay, we're here at this creek. I see four game trails. You know, one going down the creek, one going up, and then, you know, one at like 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock. And I immediately start seeing heavy footprints. And then I look up the 10 o'clock trail, and I see these claw marks in front of each log. And I'm like, man, that looks like an injured animal, you know, a wounded animal started trying to climb that hill, laboring pretty badly. 
and it wasn't like you said 30 yards up that hill from there that I found them piled up so I think um I was really glad to be in a position on, my, on that day where I could get to you get to you quickly and help I think you would have found him anyway because he was just too close. I think you'd have tripped on him if nothing else. But <laughs> I think it's always good to have a you know a buddy when you're doing that sort of thing, so that you've got somebody who's not you know as emotionally invested in the shot to sort of step back and say, all right, where are we at? What do we do? How do we go about this? You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm totally sold on the uh, the elite synergy and the the slick trick, uh, viper trick. I mean that thing. The shot was probably a few inches back. It hit him in the liver. And ended up in his opposite hindquarter and uh, severed the femoral artery and just devastated that. I mean, he he bled out very quickly. It's what it you know eventually, but but no exit wound, and that's why I was second guessing the shot. You know. Yeah. Um, no, I, you should be happy with that rig and you know thing. I mean, you were only maybe a, a maybe three inches back. I think he was probably quartered to you, maybe a little more than you realized because you were calling by yourself. He called this bull in all by yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, but, man, you want to talk about a lethal and just devastating archery shot, man. I mean, you know, any 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 liver shot is known to be very lethal. And, again, your problem becomes, you know, if you don't get a pass through, you know, some sort of thing on the backside, you might not, you know, the blood might dry up pretty quickly. But to go in, you know, say five inches behind the shoulder bone, you know, at that angle to punch through, ribs because you did enter the rib cage you went through the liver all the way through his gut and buried that thing all the way into it was actually when we when we skinned that hindquarter your broadhead was inside the hide so it only needed another half inch and it would have punctured out that backside and the blood trail would have been outrageous because that back hindquarter bled from that femoral artery like i mean just nothing it was just all internal but man i mean that bow and arrow and, and broadhead combo just absolutely put it on that elk. That's why, and that's what I've said since the day it happened, there was a reason he only went 20 yards slowly and laid down. It's because that dude was hurt, and he was going down fast. He wouldn't have taken another step if he hadn't shot the other arrow at him. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about it, no doubt about it. Um, well, okay, so so that was really the highlight uh, up to that point. And then we got to help David track his bull. Uh, we already talked to David this morning. Unfortunately, we never did find uh, that bull, but uh, pretty pretty confident that it's alive out there, still somewhere walking around. Now, yeah, let me just jump in there and say that, you know, I've said this to anybody I've talked to, David is the best hunter I've ever hunted with, period, and it's not even close. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a bummer that, you know, I guess my thought is when three guys go in to the elk woods to, you know, with archery gear, for all three to come back with a bull would be just almost unheard of, so you kind of have to expect something to not maybe go right and you know it's just a it's a bummer that he drew the short stick um you know and just hit a little bit forward and ended up catching too much bone because he's a phenomenal hunter and he knows that area and too bad thankfully he got a monster last year with the muzzle loader so yeah well so wednesday we we uh helped him look for his bull until the sun went down thursday you and i hunted together all day uh trying to punch your tag and man that was that was probably the lowest point for us because we put the miles on the tires that day and uh it just it didn't work out and you're feeling pretty dejected until right at sundown we're walking back to camp and there was two cows out in this meadow and um you almost had a shot at one of them and i think that kind of lifted our, our spirits uh to keep on trudging forward for friday yeah no doubt i mean by that point you know to have hooked it all day and really, oh, and I know, gotta back up because on Wednesday, right after we got my bull, or Tuesday, right after we got my bull uh, packed out, oh. 
we I called in a six by six to eight yards, and you couldn't get an ethical clean shot because the grass actually the grass in these meadows people don't realize is so tall, and the bull was coming uphill, and you could you couldn't see which side uh, you couldn't even see which way he was looking even at eight yards. I mean, all we could see was his antlers and his head. His body was totally protected by the uh, by the meadow grass, and and ended up letting him walk. Uh, and I think you. You know, there was probably times you regretted that, and there was other times you said that was the right decision. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it was the ethical thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll probably circle back to it when we get to the Friday, you know, Friday of the story. But um, you're right. I mean, he came up that hill. I was crouched in that tall grass, which made it even, you know, the grass was as tall as I was crouched. And so, you know, there was, as he climbed the hill, all I saw coming out of the grass was his antlers. And then when he stood there for a bit, he kept looking they back were over huge, his by the way. <laughs> they, they, he was a legitimate monster, dude. I yeah. mean, I don't know how to – I can't accurately gauge within 10 or 20 inches, but there's no doubt he was a 300-inch bull from what I've seen and looked up and, you know, kind of just studied on my own. And, oh, yeah. you know, some are, some are guessing closer to 320. But, yeah, he I had him at less than 10 yards, and he would look over his – I guess his left shoulder to my right, you know, and – there was a bull raking some trees in the woods and he'd look over there and I'd almost draw and then you'd call him because you were just trying to, you know, keep him moving and keep him coming to us. And he'd look right back basically at me because you were behind me because we kind of didn't really, we expected him to come downwind and, you know, and come at us from downwind, which meant I had to be out, I thought at the ledge of this valley, like at the, at the lip of it. And then in, all he ended up doing was coming straight crosswind right at us. Yeah. So where I was exposed out on the lip, expecting to shoot down on him, all he did was beeline it to us. And there was, um, you know, when I said that, when I said the prayer asking to help you find your bull, my only prayer about an elk was, dear Lord, if I can just get close to one while I'm here, I'll be satisfied. And that same day we did. So, you know, I, I kept telling myself, hey, you got everything you asked for. We got a bull. We got close to one. He was a monster. Be happy. But yeah, I mean, the whole time I was like, man, was I not aggressive enough? Was I, you know, I did draw. I drew from a kneeling position as he started moving towards you. And I kind of knew going into it. All right, I'm going to stand up and he's going to bust me. But, you know, so I probably had a little bit of a defeated attitude about it. So I drew, I stood up, and he busted. Certainly didn't have a shot because he, he immediately broke. My yeah, he was line, gone. He, he, was, he, took off. he was, yeah. He was spooked. He was spooked. Yeah. And then so, uh, but going back to Thursday, you know, like I said, we, we just, it didn't work out for us on Thursday. Friday, we, you know, you actually applied everything that David had, had talked about where he was finding out. Uh, just kind of we use that elevation and those north-facing slopes to uh, to come up with, you know, basically a formula that said, hey, this is where the elk should be on this slope that we haven't molested yet. We haven't been in here tramping around. And we got down to about 10,700 or so feet, and bam, we started hearing bugles. Uh, got set up. I was about 30 yards behind you. Uh, you made an initial kind of a aggressive uh, cow call, and this bull started coming up out of the bottoms, um, you know, probably at a hundred yards, I gave a really aggressive rip on the bugle, got him real fired up. And then it was, it was pretty much all she wrote. He came in on a string and, uh, you shot him in the heart at 15 yards of a perfect shot. Yeah. You know, there's a few things that I've have and will mention as sort of being like my proudest moments of the whole thing. And definitely one of the biggest was, um, you know, to take what we'd learned from you and David's success and you know, apply it to some to a place we hadn't touched yet, and to, you know, to look at a topographical map for a guy from you know who grew up about 10 feet above sea level, yeah. <laughs> to look at a topo map and say, all right, here's where David's hunting, 
and, and cable and and we had walked that area on Thursday and we'd seen why that topographical depiction was a habitat that they were living in you know you know that it's it's the gradual slope the direction that it's facing we got in there and we saw how why they bed in there and why they live in there and why they rub in there and you know, to look in and say, okay, well, this other ridge that we've been wanting to hunt for two days, if you look at them, they're basically identical, except the, other, the one to the south was a little bit narrower, wasn't quite as wide across the top, only like a half mile, and so like three quarters of a mile wide. You know, I looked at it and I said, if there's still elk in this area, they're going to, we pushed them on, there's got to be some pushed onto that ridge. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we, we talked about it, we won't make any calls until we reach, you know, just to just start to get to that sub 11,000 foot range where all the you know, success had really been. We knew they'd be coming from the bottom up to us. We had a good cross wind trailing down the north slope. And, you know, we didn't even get really to that 10-5 magical range before the bugles just lit up the forest. And, you know, and then David had showed us those cow calls you were talking about. Um, And I think the really cool thing was, you know, we had kind of just had a lot of success calling really in any sequence. But on this day, he'd showed me that lost cow call which he explained, you know, David is a biologist, as your listeners know now. He said a, cow, a lost cow call will make him respond, and then you hit him with a assembly call, assembly mew, mm-hmm. and that'll make him move to you, but they won't they won't make a response sound. So you just go back and forth between those two, and he'll he'll bugle at you to the first one, and then he'll move on the second one, and, and then you can know how close he's getting. In the meantime, you're working that hand call that kind of sounds more like, maybe like a calf or you know just sort of a quick little mew. So now it sounds like there's a couple of cows up there, which I'm sure really got his attention. But then I think the beauty of it was, you know, the DVD that I'd watched, this uh, Elk University, Elk 101 thing, the guy instructs you to get within 150 yards of a bull, make a call, make him respond to the cow call, and then bugle at him. And now you've brought a challenger into his turf, close to his cow, and he's going to have to come aggressively to deal with that situation. So we'd already had him talking to just the cow call, probably four or five exchanges when, you know, we signal at each other, right, this time bugle at him when he bugles at me. And so then you started hitting him with that bugle. And it, if you think about it, it was perfect as though this cow truly was lost. She was all alone. I got her, got him talking with that thing. But then right about the time he was about to walk up on us, another bull showed up and he hears that. And I could just imagine the thought process of an elk thinking, dang it, I better get up there quicker. Oh yeah. Because, you know, instead of them being together from the get-go, now all of a sudden these other shooters are moving their way in. And yeah, I mean, as soon as, so going back to the night that I drew on that big bull, I, you know, I thought about it many times about how I drew, stood up and wasn't ready to shoot when I stood up. So when this bull got to about 10 yards from the tree, I was behind and you were calling him. He was trying to circle downwind to me because he'd heard enough racket from my spot to know you know, they, they say that they can pinpoint you to a tree when you're making calls. So he yeah. kept wanting to go downwind to me, which would also have been downwind of you, although you were further upwind from me. He was on the other side of that tree. I drew my bow and I said, if he comes to my left, which was heading downwind, I got him right here at 10 yards. If he comes to my right, I'll just pivot around this tree. That would be between you and I. Uh, I'll pivot around this tree. I'll shoot him right there. So you finally made one last call that committed him to come between us but he's less than 10 yards from me. So as he and I both clear the tree, he spooks, but this time I was ready. And my sole focus as he was trotting away, he didn't just run like a whitetail, but you know, he started trotting was get into your peep, get lined up with your sight, get your pins on his shoulder 
he's going to stop. It's just a matter of how far. I know Cable's back there calling him, be on him so that when he stops, you can shoot. And the coolest thing is that you get it on video. And, you know, where I was in the moment and thinking through it and thinking it seemed to take quite a while, the video shows that from the moment he stopped, my shot was less than a second. Oh, the arrow so was I, in him as know, soon as he stopped. Yeah. yeah. It's like as soon as he stopped. And that was a, something I was really proud of that I was able to take the lesson learned from Tuesday and say, all right, I know what I got to do. I think I know what the behavior is going to be, and I got to just be 100% ready when that second of a shot opportunity presents itself to execute it. And he goes running off with like five inches of arrow sticking out of him, and the, there's really not any doubt where it was placed <laughs> yeah. and how good it was. And you know, out of an abundance of caution, we gave him 45 minutes, but I think we both knew darn well exactly where he was because we kind of heard him crash. We definitely heard him crash and kind of saw some activity behind this root ball when he went down and. And then we got to yeah, live I mean, Tuesday's events all over again. I mean, it was, and it was just as sweet, you know. I mean, it, it was a, yeah. uh, it was pretty incredible to to get to share that moment on being the other side of the spectrum. And and uh, I know you're hounding me about the film, but uh, it's just gonna take me a while. I got so much footage from the week, so I'll uh, I'll have it up on YouTube sometime next week. But uh, it uh, it's gonna, and, and that's gonna be probably the you know some of the best footage is is us walking up on that bull and your reaction. And I, I don't want to really describe it on the radio. I want people to, to see it firsthand on the YouTube channel. So let's just say uh, it was pretty uh, emotional. I, you know, there were times I thought I was going to tear up. I imagine you did as well. And uh, oh, it was yeah. just so much hard work, and it all came to uh, it all came to fruition there uh, on that mountain in New Mexico. And it really was the, the trip of a lifetime for me, and I know you as well. Absolutely. I mean, I kind of choke up a little bit just talking back through the story right now, and uh, I definitely choked up when I got mine, but I got the same way when we found yours. Man, there was a moment there where we were both, you know, saying thanks on a knee, and I, I literally had a tear in my eye, like, wow, we did this. You know, yeah. that was that that one being the first one. You know, that was um, special to be part of getting that first one, which was yours, and then certainly special to get my own. It's man, you know, when you work that hard for something, um, and then and then you just knock it out of the park like that, um, and then of course, you know. The heart shot's not the end of it. So there's a lot of hard work still to come at that point. But, man, I think it's really hard for anybody to appreciate it unless they put those kind of miles on in that kind of country mm-hmm. to know um, just what you go through. And, you know, as much hard work as I did beforehand, I, I'm going to double it next year because I know how hard it was. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And then we actually ate the uh, we ate the heart that night. We had some venison, venison heart tacos that were uh, phenomenal. And... uh yeah, I was really surprised it was that good. It was way more tender. I feel like I've had, I feel like I've had venison heart that was kind of tough and chewy, but this stuff was, you know, like whitetail venison. But that elk heart was, I mean, like it was as tender as the tenderloin we were eating. Oh yeah, it was it was phenomenal, phenomenal. Well, uh, I know people can uh, look forward to reading your write up about uh, about this whole experience at devotedarcher.com here in the probably coming weeks. And uh, man, it was uh, something that neither one of us will ever forget. And I can't wait to do it again. Yeah, we're going to get that big one next year, man. <laughs> no doubt about it, brother. Well, hey, thanks, yeah. Chisholm. All right. Love you, brother. Love you too, man. Take care. See you. All right. Enough of that mushy crapola. Uh, my buddy gets me to tell him I love him on the air. Goodness gracious. But uh, just to reiterate, yes, we did enjoy success on this hunt. Uh, but no, this is not about us being some great white hunters uh, because uh, our, our Knowledge of elk hunting in our experience was very limited. Uh, this was David and I's second elk hunts and Chisholm's first. Uh, so 
what I'm trying to say is uh, hopefully this inspires some of y'all out there to uh, put in for a tag in whatever western state you want to apply for. Maybe you want to go over the counter. There's great opportunity in Colorado to do that as well. Uh, totally take the, the draw out of the equation. But uh, maybe some of you guys have, have let yourselves go. You've had kids. Put on some pounds like I did. It's not too late to get in shape and tackle a bucket list hunt like this. And like I said, if we can do it, so can you. Uh, so if you have any other questions that maybe we didn't answer on today's broadcast, you can always email me at LoneStarOutdoorShow at gmail.com. I'd be happy to uh, offer any further insight that I can uh, on the logistics or, or maybe gear questions. I mean, I have a gear list uh, for everything that we took, things that we needed, uh, things that I'd leave off next year. Uh, but yeah, any other questions, just email me. I'd be happy to, uh, to get back with you on that front. Uh, anyway, that segment of the show proudly brought to you by STI Guns and Rudy's Barbecue. Uh, coming up next, we will check in with uh, an actual authority on elk hunting, uh, Randy Newberg from Fresh Tracks with Randy Newberg on Sportsman's Channel, also the spokesman for the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and uh, one of the most respected public land hunters in North America joins us next only on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. LSC Trailer Sales offers a full line of utility trailers, from small single axle trailers to heavy equipment trailers, ATV trailers, car haulers, landscape trailers, cargo trailers, truck beds, and more. They can special order a custom trailer to fit your needs and have the ability to customize standard models in-house. LSC Trailer Sales is here to assist you with any questions that you have about trailers. Call 940-566-1133 or visit lsctrailersales.com. That's lsctrailersales.com. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. If you're in the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas-Lewisville, Bobcat of Fort Worth, and Bobcat of Longview. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Climb aboard the bus and grab your bum One on the bottom is the one you want Let's rock and roll 
as you roll down the road. Plug John Wayne in a VCR. Let the driver tell There's you where you want. Classic Jerry Jeff Walker bringing us back on PSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by our friends over at Lone Star Beer and Pop. Oh, our players on Cable Smith. Life on the Road is the name of that one. And I tell you what, our next guest, he knows a thing or two about life on the road. But before we check in with our old friend, Randy Newberg, this segment of the show is brought to you by Hercules Hunting Blinds. I tell you what, I've got one on my whitetail lease. It is the Taj Mahal of hunting blinds. It's got cup holders. It's got shelves. It's got carpet. It's roomy enough for three people. And it's got windows for both bow hunters and rifle hunters. Check out their full lineup of hunting blinds at HerculesHuntingBlinds.com. All right, all right. Uh, our next guest joins us now. Uh, we've got him on the phone. He's a longtime friend of the show, uh, been joining us uh, semi-regularly here over the past five or six years. He's a renowned big-game hunter, especially when it comes to on-your-own public land hunting. Randy Newberg, how in the world are you, my friend? I'm so great, Cable. I'd have to be you to be any better. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, uh, how has your season been so far? Oh, so far it's been a really fun season, but uh, there's a bull walking around in Wyoming that uh, Monday morning should have had my tag on him. It, it would have been the biggest bull I've ever shot with a rifle or a bow. And uh, somehow... Between me and the camera guys, we let him through our fingers. So I, I think in football vernacular, they would call that a fumble on the goal line. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. But the, the good news is in Wyoming, um, you can go back with and hunt the rifle season. If you draw the rifle tag, you can hunt archery and rifle in most of their units. So oh, wow. I'll be back there in November with my rifle. So awesome. awesome. Keeping my fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, Randy, you know, uh, you've been doing this a long time. To put things in perspective regarding um, our knowledge on elk and elk hunting, I just killed my first public land bull last week, uh, which, you know, I sent you a picture, and I've been on cloud nine. Yeah. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. And that that's probably the highlight of my hunting career. But just so people know, how many bulls have you taken on public land? I mean, you're the authority. That's why we want to ha have you on. Um, <laughs> so I've killed one. How many bulls have you taken on public land? Um, that's a, first of all, that's a loose, uh, definition of the word authority, but, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't know what that number was. Someone asked me that uh, a few months ago. And so after I gave my answer, I went out to my shop and did the inventory and it's the answer is 21. Wow. That's awesome. So it's, awesome. I, I'm fortunate to get to do what I do, you know, with, with the TV show and I live in a place where. I can get an over-the-counter elk tag every year here in Montana. So it's, I guess if you get enough opportunity, even the blind squirrels find the nuts once in a while. So. <laughs> Don't sell yourself short there. Um, <laughs> how many states have you taken a bull in? I can't remember. So I'll have to list them off. Uh, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Nevada, Wyoming, and Montana. Wow. Okay. Six. Yeah. Six, yeah. Awesome. Obviously, like you just were hunting the the, uh, the archery season in Wyoming, but you also hunt rifle. I imagine muzzle loaders in there in some places as well. Um, yep. What part of the elk season is your favorite? And 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 answer that question without um, you know without taking into consideration that you're always filming. You know, because I know yeah. that has a lot to do with it. 
right. Um, if I am looking for absolute breathtaking exhilaration, tremors, shakes, and all other things that make a grown man do things he probably would not ordinarily do, it's definitely archery season uh, right. right now. There's this peak time of year. I When I had that bull in Wyoming that I referred to on Monday morning, I looked down at my right leg. I was on one knee, on my right knee, and my foot was shaking so bad. I'm like, this is why I hunt. (laughs) Whether I kill that bull or not, after all these years, I'm still just shaken by it. Um, So for for the the answer is, if it's just for the the challenge and the exhilaration, it's definitely the archery season. If it's because I'm I'm interested in having success and putting some meat in the freezer. Uh, it's probably going to be with a rifle in the later seasons when the bulls are in what I call their security or sanctuary mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, that to me, that's the most consistent time to find elk on public lands or the November this, the, that time of year. Okay, they're they're very predictable at that time, and if you're willing to hike a bit to, to where they go to find sanctuary. Um, it's amazing how predictable it is of where they'll be. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I've never hunted the the rifle season, um, but uh, we we had been in this area before, knew you know uh, there was elk in there. Um, but uh, let me let me ask you this: um, as far as the the pre rut, that's kind of what the the bulls were doing uh, when when we were there. You know, first week of September into the second week. Um, if they're not bugling every day, and we saw kind of some peaks and valleys. On Tuesday, man, they were fired up. They were going off. That's when I killed mine. Yep. And then on uh, Wednesday, Thursday, not so much. Uh, Friday, they were going off again. Um, but say they're being quiet, you know, maybe one of those lulls in there. What kind of strategy do you implore? I mean, are you calling even if, even if they're not calling? Or, you know, how are you trying to locate locate the elk? Yeah, and I will say that for you to kill a, a bull – with archery gear in the pre-rut that's probably the hardest season there is to kill an elk so uh pat yourself on the back again with that um but in that pre-rut season uh kind of like it was last week in wyoming it was hot it was in the mid 80s and so even the bulls that are thinking about the rut a bit when it is hot they kind of give up on the daytime activity Mm -hmm. Uh, and so where they're at is they're going to be where they can find shade. Um, they're going to be near the cow groups. The younger bulls are going to be in with the cows already in the pre-rut. But the older bulls you're probably looking for are they're skirting around the edges. They're kind of thinking about it. Um, so I always tell people in the pre-rut I want to find the cows because I know the bulls will be somewhere nearby. Mm-hmm. And as boring as it can be, some of the best encounters I've ever had in the pre-rut have been midday. I'm talking like from noon until three in the afternoon at a water hole. Um, big bulls have a tendency in the pre-rut and peak rut to come in and water solo in the middle of the day. Hmm. Um, it's, it took me a long time to realize, Randy, you're seeing all this. It's not just coincidence anymore. You know, if you see it 20 times, it's like, hmm, maybe this is a pattern and not a coincidence. <laughs> Um, but that, that pre-rut time, it is way harder to find them. Um, I'm always out there well before the sun comes up and I don't call a lot, but I will call 
when it's still dark because you can get a bugle response at that time, usually even in the pre-rut. Mm-hmm. And I'm just marking where did I hear these bulls, okay? That ridge, that drainage out there on that point. And those are the areas I go and silently and quietly try to get within range in that pre-rut period. Right, right. Yeah, uh, my buddy that ended up taking the bull on the last day of the hunt uh, I said, you know, he was pretty dejected at this point, and we hadn't seen a lot of, uh, I mean, Tuesday, even though it was pre-rut, they were bugling, and so I got, you know, a bugle, my guy answered back and coaxed him in with a few more bugles and mixed in some cow calls there, and I'm, ve- I'm very much a novice, and, and my point is if I can do it, anyone can do it, um, <laughs> but my buddy was so dejected after two days of not hearing any bugles, and, and, I, and I mentioned to him, you know, maybe we should just go sit on a water hole, and he looked at me and he said, I have three months of whitetail season to sit and look at a feeder. I'm not doing that for elk hunting. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we didn't do that. And, uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I mean, I guess that is a good time to, uh, to be sitting at a water hole midday. And, and actually, um, all three of us actually had shot opportunities at elk and they were all between 11 AM and, uh, and I think two o'clock in the afternoon. So that midday yeah. was, was probably the peak time for us for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm often surprised at how many guys go back to camp at about 10 or 11 in the morning and they just take a nap in camp until about 4 in the afternoon. And my thought is, you know what, if I'm going to rest for the day, I'm going to rest near a water hole or downwind from a, an intersection of a couple game trails because in this pre-rep period, the bulls are on their feet a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're trying to figure out where are the cows uh, they have these same ridges, the same drainages that every year they use these same little pockets for the kind of where the rutting activity happens. And they're moving between those pockets or between those ridges. So it's not like they just go and nap all day long. Um, they are up and moving. And I, I know some of the biggest bulls I see each year get killed in that pre-rut period. And I, I think part of it is... Uh, the, those big bulls at that time still don't have big harems of cows. In mm-hmm. fact, a lot of times they're still solo, just doing their thing, checking it out. And we all know it's a lot easier to fool one set of eyes and one nose than it is 20 sets of eyes and 20 noses. And oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm surprised at how many big bulls get killed in that pre-rut period as hard as it can be to hunt them. But well, it's so- definitely there. Well, so once you do have a bull answering in the pre-rut, uh, I kind of told you my approach was just get them interested with a bugle and then some, you know, uh, some muted little cow calls to get them in close enough. What, I mean, is that what you'd recommend or, or how do you get that bull to finish those last 75 yards to get in with, you know, get within bow range? Yeah. And, and I'm going to be the first to admit that I don't call much because I I don't know what I'm saying half the time. It's like, did I just tell him? Did I just use some some <laughs> adjective that he's gonna run away? Or so. Yeah. Um, and the other part is on public land, uh, elk can get educated calling pretty quickly. Uh, a five or six year old bull, he's heard it all for the most part on public land. And so if I can locate where he's at. I'll either try to get close and then maybe I'll do one really aggressive bugle if I'm within that hundred yard distance from him. Mm -hmm. Or if not, I will just kind of shadow him and watch until he beds. And a lot of times I'll just try to spot and stalk him 
and uh, get close and wait for him to get out of their bed. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the one hunt I did in New Mexico that everyone always reminds me of is, oh, I saw that thing on that really hot day when you shot that bull at two yards with your bow. <laughs> um, that was pretty classic. It was not peak rut yet, and uh, he just went embedded under a little rock ledge, and we snuck up there, and if I would have tried to call him, I, I know he would have stood up and he would have seen us. Mm-hmm. Um, but because he bedded, I was able to use the rock pile to get between me and him. And then when he stood up, it was too late. But yeah, so I, I, I'm not the guy who would be the expert about use this call or that call uh, in any period of the year because I'm uh, tight with my calling. Just because I, I'm more worried about blowing them out of there. Off or, yeah. yeah. Um, and I know some guys who are super aggressive in their calling and they have great luck. But those guys are also some of the best out callers I know. Yeah, right, right. So. Well, so you already answered my next question is if you'll chase elk into their bedding areas. And, and, and I'll just tell you, on our hunt, uh, they they really wouldn't come out into the meadows or out in the open until right before dark. Uh, so we spent all days on basically north-facing slopes. And, and, I mean, we were in their bedding areas. And, uh, and that's where, um, for sure, my buddy killed his bull on the last day. Uh, so you will, I mean, you'll go in there and, and, and chase them into those bedding areas for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. And a lot of my friends who are whitetail hunters, I grew up in the Midwest and they come out West and they think about bedding areas and they say, oh man, I never go in a bedding area. It, it just kind of, what you, you know, it's one of the cardinal sins of whitetail hunting is going polluting the bedding area, right? And so with elk, they think, oh, I'm not going to go in where they're bedded. Well, elk aren't like whitetail that can have a pretty small home range. Uh, they don't bed in the same little patch day after day after day. Elk are on the move all the time. So mm-hmm. they might be bedded here today, but tomorrow they might be bedded three miles further away. So I don't I don't really worry about going into their bedding area if I mess something up. Um, they'll be bedded in a different spot tomorrow, and I'll probably mess it up again tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, uh, as far as their daily migration pattern, um, do elk like to start low and move high or vice versa as, as the day goes on? It, it It's kind of, uh, I'll say it's a depends experience. On public lands, um, you can have some elk that live way high up above the timberline. Those elk are going to start high in the morning because they've been out there feeding all night and they're going to come low to the timber into the timberline during the day. Mm-hmm. The flip side of that is on the lower end of the mountain range, it, say you have agriculture land or you have lush bottoms, the cows are putting on the feed bag year round. And in the fall, they're putting it on heavy because they know winter's coming. So they're going to determine where the herds are at, the, the lead cows are. And if there's better feed down low in bottoms, at night they'll go low to feed and then they'll come up at you know, morning mm-hmm. and repeat that. So it, it kind of depends uh, uh, on where they are positioning themselves relative to where the dark timber is on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of, like I said, that uh, the north-facing slopes, that's kind of where, what we targeted and where all of our encounters basically were. And uh, And so I ended up killing one. My buddy wounded one the next day. Like I said, never found it, but we think he lived. So that was the you know, the silver lining there. Um, and then we use that formula of, of, you know, where we were finding bulls and what elevation to come up with a game plan for my buddy 
And on the last day, I tell you what, it, it, they were right where we thought they would be. At the exact same yeah. elevation we'd seen them at at 11 o'clock the day, you know, two days before that. Yep. And, you know, what you said there is, is very much the strategy that I use, not, not precisely, but I'll try to explain it to you. When we show up with the TV cameras, we've got five days to figure it out. And then we're on to the next spot or next hunt. So I've kind of got to have this strategy of figure it out, sort it out, and hopefully pack them out. And what I do is I look at elk hunting as five distinct seasons. There's the early season. There's the pre-rut we just talked about. There's the peak rut, post-rut, and then late season. And in each of those five seasons, bulls have a different need. Uh, and so I'm, I'm looking for bulls. So of those, those five seasons, I always say, what's the primary need that the bull has based on the season I'm hunting? And then once I decide what that need is, I look at my map and say, where does he find the best place to satisfy that need? Hmm. So what you just did there, you realize that, hey, in a pre-rut, it's hot. The bulls are, are trying to cool off during the day. They're not yet uh, willing to go out and expend all their energy in the heat of the day like maybe they will 10 days or two weeks later. And so it's kind of predictable. Okay, they're going to find shade and water in these kind of places. Well, probably at a certain band of elevation on the mountain. And so for a period of time, that'll be a predictable place to find them. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's very similar to the, the kind of things I do to try to sort it out. So within five days, I at least can tell the audience, hey, I found it now. <laughs> I didn't right. kill them, but at least I found one. <laughs> right. So, so um, I, I, I just think a lot of times, Hunters have a tendency to overthink this elk thing. Um, they think too much about their tactic or their call or their gizmo or their gadget, and they don't spend enough time trying to put themselves in the mind of an elk and say, what's an elk going to do today, and yeah. why is he going to do it? And if I know why and what he's going to do, where is he going to do it? Because I always tell people, I think the hardest animal to find on public land is a bull elk. But once you find them, one of the easiest animals to kill on public land is mm -hmm. a bull elk. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, look at me. I mean, if I can get one to 18 yards, then, like I said, <laughs> any of our listeners can do it. So, you know, that's the encouraging thing there. Um, yeah. Well, hey, um, before we uh, wrap things up here, I, I know you've got the elk hunting on your own primer, um, which yep. is, uh, you know, has a lot of great content, some of which we've talked about today. Um, yep. How can people get their hands on that? Yeah, if uh, people go out to my website, randynewberg.com, Newberg is N-E-W-B-E-R-G, there's a, a link there that says if you want to download our elk hunting on your own e-guide, uh, plug in your email address, uh, hit enter, and it's going to send you a link that says, here you go, download it. And it's 30, <laughs> 32 pages of, uh, of free information that is Randy's uh, 25 years of experience crunched down into a, I guess they call it Cliff's Notes version of, of at least what I know about elk. I mean, I tell everyone, look, I don't, I'm not the expert. I don't know it all. This is just a lot of trial and error that over time has proved to be uh, worthwhile. So if they, they go to randynewberg.com, they'll be able to get that e-guide. 
Once again, selling yourself short. Uh, if you didn't know what you're doing, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation wouldn't have you as their spokesman. So, uh, <laughs> but, they were uh, desperate. One other thing to hit on here, um, you have joined the ranks of the uh, radio show host, and you've got uh, a podcast going, Hunt Talk Radio, which I believe yep. people can get on iTunes, and I think you're doing it bi-weekly and have about six or seven episodes up now. Yep, that's, that's exactly right, Cable. You can go to iTunes or Stitcher. Um, and again, if you're looking for direct links to the iTunes or Stitcher uh, feeds for the the podcast, you can go to randynewberg.com and there's a little button there. You click on listen to Hunt Talk Radio and it'll take you right there. So, perfect, perfect. And then, of it, course, it's uh, uh, been an interesting endeavor to do the radio thing. <laughs> uh, I, I, about five years ago, four years ago, this guy named Cable called me and said, Randy, you want to be on radio? <laughs> and so now, if that falls on its face, I'm blaming you. Uh, we'll look forward to seeing you uh, on TV. Let's just let's plan on keep doing that. Uh, Fresh Tracks, of course, Wednesdays, 10.30 Central Time, uh, Wednesday nights on Sportsman's Channel. Sportsman's Channel. Well, yeah, Randy, it's been a great uh, relationship. I think we started yeah. this back when the show was uh, On Your Own Adventures, probably yep. the first season. So it's probably been five yeah. or six years, actually. So. Yeah, and I, I appreciate all your support. And, uh, you know, somehow, some way, some form, we're going to share a camp someday, and maybe we'll bring our podcast kits. and. <laughs> We'll see how big a fools we can make of ourselves around the campfire someday. Mm-hmm. But I, I really enjoy your your passion for hunting, the way you, you present it to your audience. And I, I think you're doing great stuff for hunting. So. Well, we appreciate you, my friend. And, uh, hey, good luck getting that big bull in Wyoming. You know kind of where he is. So we'll look forward to uh, seeing that on TV. If, if I get him, you're going to be one of the first to know about it. <laughs> I'll look for a text. Great. Thanks right. so much. Take care. Good luck to you. Bye. There he goes, uh, truly one of the outdoor industry's uh, nicest guys, uh, Randy Newberg. And, and you won't find a more uh, knowledgeable person when it comes to public land hunting uh, than Randy as well. Uh, that segment of the broadcast proudly brought to you by Sendero Seed Company, Texas premier seed company. They've got anything and everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd. Check them out at SenderoSeed.com. Uh, unfortunately... That is going to do it for today's presentation. Hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, I know we deviated from the normal script, but we'll get back to a more well-rounded broadcast next week. Uh, I think that uh, former Elite Series Angler of the Year in Major League Fishing, Skeet Reese, is set to join us to talk some bass fishing, among other things. Uh, So you want to be sure to tune in for that. Uh, Thanks to all of our guests today, Randy, as well as uh, my hunting buddies, Chisholm Cook, and David Morgan. It was great reliving uh, last week's experiences with them. I also want to thank all of our sponsors. Without their support, this show wouldn't be possible. Uh, Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. I settle in that goose down bag and think of family at home. Thankful that they understand there's times I need to be alone I can be high, wild, and free Where the Mackenzies meet the heavens You can hike through God's out of street Where the dull sheep have dominion 
from a throne at 8,000 feet. Lord, I want to be high, wild and free. 